All right. How are we all doing? Pretty small today. How about we all shuffle up? I'm going to, I'm going to be that person that gets you to get out of your warm seat and come and sit in a cold seat. Front row. Thank you, guys. This side was a bit lacking. Feel free for some of you guys to move over here too. Oh, great. Good on you, Gabe. Thanks. You'll um, get rid of this, won't you? <laughs> there, people will be listening to it thinking, what? That guy sounds really bossy. I don't want anything to do with that church. So how are we all doing? Good, man. Yeah? Pretty bit, bit of a crazy kind of week. I sort of, I kind of, I don't know, I don't have much motivation to be here, um, which is funny. Like often I look forward to preaching and different things in like a weird sort of moment, but I just feel really sort of heavy this morning. So please pray for me um, as I go through. Pray for me. Help me to, help me to get through. Um, I might pray first as well as, and um, then we'll start. Lord, help me, please. Take away my this dullness, Lord, that's over me, or this hardness, this wall that's here. Just help me to just see through it. Help me to understand my own message, Lord, that you're here with me. And would you open our hearts up, please, Lord, and open my heart so that I can worship you here as well. Amen. Thanks, man. That would be great. Lord, I know that feeling, and I pray, Lord, that, again, we just bring that power that's needed. I pray, Lord, that you also open up our hearts to hear from you. We just eagerly desire to have that prophetic gift amongst us and eagerly desire that Ben, as he launches into what he's prepared, would just feel the freedom and the flow of your spirit. We pray against the power of the enemy. There's no hold over us or anyone in this place who belongs to you, Lord Jesus. So open up our hearts to hear from you. We don't want to be people that just come in here and hear and then go out unchanged. We want to be people who are salt and light and the kingdom people. And we know that when we have this coldness in our heart, we need to pour out. Mm. So may your word do that and promise that your word won't return. So may it return, O oh Lord, full of purpose and accomplishment. Thank you for my brother here. Bless him, Lord, for the effort that he's gone to take what he's done and turn it into something beyond himself. Thanks, man. Okay. Thanks, Parky. So who gets um, who gets emails that come from something that you were once interested in once upon a time and you signed up for and then they, they hang on, you can't, you you could go to the unsubscribe thing, but it's easy just to delete it and then worry, deal about it next time. Is that me? Is that just my philosophy on cleaning up? That I don't fix the problem? Luke's looking at me going, oh, you're the worst guy in the world. Um, anyway, I, I got these emails. I get these emails often from change.org. I don't know if any of you guys do. But once upon a time, I must have been super passionate about some sort of cause and signed up and signed a petition using my email address, obviously. And uh, so they send me these petition emails every now and again. And uh, um, because, I don't know, I must just be this modern day justice campaign, or I suppose I am. 
Anyway, uh, this one I got through the week was about this woman who was petitioning um, the foreign minister, um, Maurice Payne, I think it is, or she used to be the Minister of Defence, I don't know, because we shuffle well. Everything up every six weeks or so. She's Maurice Payne, she's the foreign minister now, isn't she? I think so. Yeah, yep. So this woman was petitioning um, the, the foreign minister and about uh, this plight that her dad is in at the moment. He's found himself in a Cambodian jail for the next 15 years. Now, you sort of expect to end up in jail because you've done something wrong and because you're a criminal. But so this petition was worded in, in a way that um, all this guy did wrong. He's, he's just a documentary filmmaker from like the western suburbs of Sydney. He's just an average Joe Blow kind of guy. He was over there and he flew a drone over like, a government, like an opposition government uh, rally and he was just taking pictures of the, the rally from the air. Anyway, government officials arrested him and threw him in jail and um, so that he has, he's in this cramp cell. Uh, the, the petition laid it all out. He's in this cramp cell. He, he, him and his uh, cellmates, they have to take turns lying down because it's, it's just so super cramped. There's body lice and all different things. And this guy's in his mid-70s. So he's not like a spring chicken that can sort of ride through these sorts of things. He's, he's getting a bit affected by it. And this woman's really concerned that her dad will die in this jail. So it had me thinking, like I'm, I've, got, I've got this idea of Joseph in my head and I'm, I'm reading this petition from this woman and I'm just thinking, man, this guy's life just did not turn out like he envisaged it would. Hey, like who thinks they're going to go to Cambodia to just film a bit of stuff? But who thinks then they're going to be spending the next 15 years in prison? Crazy, crazy place. So as I said, Joseph, around in my mind this week, um, brings us to the point where Joseph, this other guy who probably didn't see his life working out the way that it, that it did. So we're going to look at Joseph this morning, obviously. We're going to look at um, and meet God Almighty through Joseph. And if you're like many people, I suppose, that when you think of Joseph, you think of a... When you first think of Joseph, you think of a... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that's exactly the... Um, when, I, when I polled, when I, when I did a, like a survey on like just one person the other week at, um, at music practice, I'm looking at you, Cat Duffy, um, that's exactly what she said. I was like, what do you first think when you think of Joseph? But Cat's exactly right. You guys are exactly right. That's what we think of when we hear of Joseph. So let's jog through chapter 37. I'm going to paraphrase it because it's, it's, it's quite a long chapter. Um, so how, we've got, how does the chapter start out? We've got 17-year-old Joseph, all right, 17. Who can remember when they were 17? Parko can, good memory, mate. I, I can hardly remember. I think it was in the last year of high school. That's about it. So I was a kid. Yeah, it's not that long ago for you, Jojo. 17-year-old um, Joseph, okay, he's out in the field. Um, he's out in the field with his stepbrothers, like the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Remember, these are these handmaidens that were sort of dragged into the family and gotten pregnant and with that, when that baby arms race between Rachel and Leah that was going on. Um, so he's out with these sons that they've grown up. They're all out in the field together. And Joseph sees something that they're doing that's not quite right. And he goes and dibba-dobs and snitches on them to their father. Jacob. So, so, if only Joseph knew actually about, you know, those, that famous line from like prison movies and like gangster movies, you know, snitches end up 
in ditches. <laughs> or is it snitches end up with stitches? I don't know. I thought it was stitches and snitches end up in ditches. But anyway, that's the way Joseph's life's going at the moment. All right? So Jacob, though, instead of just sort of guiding him around just being a good parent instead of guiding him and saying, hey, man, stop being such a goody two-shoes, he gives him this really colourful robe, which is just terrible, terrible example of impartial parenting. Okay, And basically, he's just singing from the rafters, hey, this is my favourite son. Guys, this, is, this guy, listen to him. He's, he's my man. Okay. Jacob, he obviously hasn't learned his lesson from the favoritism that he showed to Rachel and that caused all those problems in, the, in, the, in their marriage between her and Leah and stuff. He's just, he hasn't learned his lesson. It's terrible. So watch history repeat itself because it gets bad. So these older sons, um, they see how much their father loves Joseph more than them, so they hate Joseph. They're hating on him. And the Bible says that they, they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. Like, what a terrible family. These patriarchal families, they really had problems. They really were not perfect in any sort of way. So anyway, Joseph, here's the favorite. He starts having these premonitionary dreams. The first one is where he's got these, um, he sees these sheaves of, like, which is these bundles of wheat, bowing down to this upright sheaf, which is like symbolic of himself. And then he has that second dream where He's there and the sun and the moon and all these 11 stars are bowing down to him as well. So then out of his maybe youthful arrogance, just, you know, foot and mouth disease or whatever, he just blurts it out to his family. He says, hey, I'm having these guys. You guys are going to worship me one day. And just like, what are you kidding, you little punk? And so anyway, they hate him even more. So it comes along, the older brothers, they go out, yeah, you're kidding me, man. You're kidding me. Yeah, exactly. The older brothers then, they go out into the field. They take the, the sheep and they go out into a far country, like herding the, their, their father's massive flocks. And then after a little while, Jacob sends Joseph after them and says, you know, go and bring me word, see how they're doing. So Joseph goes out to Shechem and he's looking around and there's no one there. He's wandering around paddocks and whatever and in this really high-vis, uh, colourful coat. This man sees him, he's like, hey, mate, who are you looking for? And Joseph's like, well, I'm trying to find my brothers. There's, you know, there's all of them. They're this big, this big, this big. And he's just like, oh, no, they, they went to this other place called Dothan. So Joseph trots after that. And so Joseph eventually sees them, catches up to them, finds them. But it must, this coat must have stuck out so much because his brothers see him coming from a long way off and they start plotting against him. What are we going to do with this snitch? This little dibber-dobber, here he comes to tell on us to dad, like what's going on? What are we going to do with him? Let's, let's just end the problem. Let's kill him. Because so here we go. Here's the snitch. It's about to get, he's about to get ditched. But older brother Reuben, he then sort of he steps in and he offers this compromise. He's like, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this ditch because he want, then wants to come back and let him like set him free later on. So he's away though, but then under the suggestion from, the other, from, from Judah, the other brothers then decide to sell him off. There's these traders come past, traders, descendants from great, great, great uncle Ishmael. They come past on their camels on the way to Egypt and they're like, hey, let's get some money out of this guy. Let's not kill him. Let's get someone else to do that for us. Let's just get some money from him. So they sell him to these traders. Reuben comes back. No, you, you no. <laughs> tears open his clothes. So to cover their tracks then, they kill a goat, 
pour it all over the Technicolor Dreamcoat, okay, take it back to their dad and let him come up with his own conclusions to what's happened. And so then we, we see our paraphrase of chapter 37 ends with this old father, Jacob. He is he's crushed by the evidence of this, this blood-stained robe that he's holding, this colorful Technicolor dream coat. He's, he's depressed and he's mourning heavily so that nobody can comfort him. And then our biblical narrative just flashes quickly to where Joseph is at. Joseph's at. His, his true life story is about to begin. The end, last, last verse of chapter 37. And says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So I think of, you know, this 17-year-old kid sold into slavery, dragged away behind camels. And maybe I've watched too many movies or whatever, but I love to sort of take scenes and sort of mash it into sort of what it would look like. And when I, when I read the Bible, I always try to visualize the story. And I think of that scene in, in Russell Crowe's Gladiator movie, you know, where the slaves, the Gladiator slaves are brought into Rome for the first time. And there's just that look of, you know, sort of fear and uncertainty is to look at this place. This is huge. There's all the mess and hustle bustle of the streets. There's, you know, prostitutes trying to grab them and drag them into their den. There's pickpockets trying to steal from them. There's elephants like almost running them over. There's just like stuff and noises and smells and everything's strange and different and huge and intimidating. And I think that for, seven, for a 17-year-old kid going into the, like the, the capital city of like the world superpower. Now, I, I know that, you know, the, 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 the gladiator example is 2,000 years apart. Egypt's like a few world empires before the Romans, but, and they're separated by the Mediterranean Sea and, and all that, okay? But you can imagine, it's the similarities there. This 17-year-old kid, like all these strange things that are going on, like he's a long way away from the fields of Canaan and, and herding sheep and stuff where he's grown up. He's probably wide-eyed in like anxious fear of this new place, what's going to happen to him. What's this place going on? Like this, it's an incredibly uh, uh, imposing place, just full of unfamiliar sights and smells and foreign languages and foreign animals, unfamiliar customs and unfamiliar gods in this place. He's well out of his depth. So I think just before we go much further in this Joseph story, it's important for us just to press pause on the Joseph story here for a little while and graft ourselves into the Joseph story. Let's graft ourselves into Joseph so that when we then press play on his life again and as he's dragged along and, we and he starts understanding who this God is that will be with him, so then we can be dragged along and, and brought into the understanding God story as well. So, um, so let's start with Joseph's initial position like so it's pretty clear to understand that Joseph um, before he was stripped and thrown in the pit he enjoyed a pretty comfy life we agree he's the favorite son of a rich patriarchal dude okay he's enjoyed he's in, he's had a pretty comfortable life up to that point okay he's um 
even, even, even Jacob's other sons, they, they were still sent out. They still had to do the work of a shepherd. But Joseph was given this sort of, sort of go-between role. You know, go and bring me word. How are they doing? Like, he's the sort of carrier pigeon. The sort of, well, if you want to look at it this way, he's like a mediator. This is just like a little bit of the things that Joseph foreshadows towards Jesus. Like, he's that go-between between the father and the, the sons, the other sons. Like, he's the favorite son. Like, he's that, you know, like that mediator, that going between. But anyway, Joseph, still a human dude. He's not Jesus. He's still fallible. He's a, he's a dibba-dobba little snitch little brother. Okay, we get that. But he's lived a comfy life. But in a comfortable life is a good thing, right? It's a massive, massive blessing to have. But see, the broken thing in us as humans is we have this sort of insatiable greed that makes us want more. We see this, we, we get used to like a profitable, sorry, a privileged kind of comfy life, but we want more. We want it more comfortable. We want it more privileged. We want more. It's the way we want it. We want our audio to be higher quality. We want our visuals to be more high def. We want more money. We want bigger stuff. We want better stuff. We want the next rung up the way we want it. And our everyday, our normal everyday privilege loses its like massive blessing shine that it actually really is. And we as Christians, in the... majority of us in the West, we enjoy incredibly comfy lives. So I want to share with you guys a little bit of a story that happened um, last weekend, actually, last weekend being Father's Day. Um, Camille, got me, Camille um, bought me this card. Nothing special. It's an A4 sheet of paper. Printed out at home. No, babe, this is not, this is not on you. This is, this is my shame. <laughs> um, this is an A4 sheet of paper. Okay, nothing much to it. It's just a card printed out at home. Happy Father's Day. All right. This card, though, hope looks like a Bible. I'm just going to read the inside of it. The Word of God has the power to transform the life of any man, woman, or child. Every door is open to go and share the gospel. Why? This is why we continue to deliver the Word of God into some of the most dangerous places worldwide. This is a card from Open Doors. This card places a Bible in the hands of an underground church leader, an evangelist, a refugee, a child, or a new Christian. Giving a Bible provides a gift that many Christians consider their most valuable possession. So the gift of a Bible has been given to a persecuted Christian on your behalf. Now, before you think, whoa, you guys are like super pious, and you are like, well, you guys are giving Bibles to other people on your own special days. That's amazing. Let me tell you about my first reaction, and it's going to send me back down to where I was. My first reaction when I opened it up, I'm in my comfortable bed. I've got my kids all around me. I'm nice and warm. I've got coffee in my hand. I read this. I see this. I read this, and I go, oh, oh. <laughs> That's my honest reaction. Oh, see, my fleshiness wanted Father's Day to be about me. Like, I'm, I'm the dad here. This is my day. What's these other dudes getting in on my day? Yeah, no tools. Yeah. This is my fleshiness. 
and it's really weird. I'm sitting in this incredibly privileged, comfortable position. Like I've got a shed full of tools. Some, most, many of you have seen it, but I can do, always need more tools. I'm in this incredibly privileged position, yet I want more gifts to be more privileged. That was an insight into my own flesh, and I was like, whoa, this is shocking. Yet, though, as it's grown on me, I've seen it, I see this card, and it's grown on me, and I love this. I, it, I, it's come around to me, like, how great this actually is, the gift of a Bible. And so I'm going to keep this in my Bible and to remind me of um, the person who gets this Bible. And you know how we last week we were talking about you know, eagerly desiring spiritual gifts? I'm asking the Lord to put the, vo- the, the face of the person that gets this Bible in my head so that I can see them and I can pray for them with a bit of purpose so that I can visualize a person. You know, not just like, oh, I've got no idea who's going to get this. But I want the Lord to give me the face of that person. So I'm going to pray for that and I'll see how we go. Like whether the Lord gives it to me or not, I don't know. But I reckon that would be great. But anyway, the Open Doors card, I completely endorse those guys, you know, go and, and, and give stacks of your cash to them because the work that they do is amazing. But um, I jumped on their website actually just because I was in the, like just thinking about them and whatever and I started reading stories of refugees and some of the stuff that they've, they've helped out with. And then it hit me really hard. I've got Joseph around in my head like all week and I'm reading these stories. And then I'm like, I thought, when was the last time that I considered it like a really good job, really, really, really good day if I only ever needed to worry about whether my kids were going to eat or not that day? And when was the last time I considered it a really, really good day if I only ever had to worry about where my family where we were going to sleep that night. And when was the last time that I ever went to bed worrying that my house was going to get broken into, um, you know, Atticus and Torin killed, um, you know, Zali carried off as a slave, Camille probably raped, locked in the house, the house burnt down, and then me in the front yard have my throat slit as I just bleed out in the front of just these ash ruins of my once happy sort of family life. Like, when was the last time that ever crossed my mind when I went to sleep? When was that last, when was that ever a worry for me? When was it ever a worry for me? See, that's just, the, that's the tip, that's a typical story of many of these refugees and displaced people, like images of God, images of God from Syria and Sudan, and Iraq, and so many other places, persecuted. And see, after reading those stories, then I fully own the statement, man, that I'm incredibly privileged, incredibly blessed. I get to call this beautiful country Australia home. I was born here. I don't know any different. I don't have any of these worries. Like so many of us, like most, if not all of us, don't have these worries, and we'll probably go through our whole lives, I hope, we will probably go through our whole lives without having any of those worries. Like, Farah, you think of the fact that we flush our toilets with perfectly drinkable water, right? Not the water that comes out, but the water that goes in, right? That, that's perfectly <laughs> drinkable. Don't be a dog, okay? Perfectly drinkable water, you use it to flush your away, okay? And you think about the fact that 
we in this country, we have the ability to be fussy about what food we eat to follow some diet. And the fact that we can argue about you know, who our favorite TV, reality TV celebrity is, it's crazy. It just goes to show how privileged and comfortable we are and how much, a com- how much we've grown accustomed to a comfortable life here. But what happens? What happens when this life of privilege ends? What does that look like? What happens if that open doors refugee story was to become your story? What happens when that takes place? This became real for Joseph. He's a favorite. This became real for him when his brothers, instead of just paying him out and arguing with him, actually stripped him of his colorful cloak and chucked him in a pit. This became real for him. Could you imagine what he's thinking, man? He's just like, guys, stop mucking around. Are you serious? Okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm a brat. I'm sorry I'm a snitch. But then when he's chucked in the pit and those cold, hard stones and the mud walls, and he's feeling them there, they're the glimpse of the next 13 years of his life. Um, you know. How does that feel for him then? This crazy, comfortable life just ripped out from underneath him. He probably thinks it's like a dream. Like, you know, what's going on? What's going on here? You know, where, where does this come from? Is this like another dream that I'm having that's just like super real? Like, what's going on here? But he knows it's real life because he then gets dragged up out of the pit and tied to a camel while he sees traders giving his brothers some money for him. And then he's towed off. Guys, you serious? What's going on here? Is this really happening? Imagine the thoughts of betrayal that he had for his brothers. So here's the rub. If we are grafted to Joseph in this story, here's that pit that leads to slavery and prison, that will come for us at some stage. Like the pit, the fall to the bottom of the pit might be longer or shorter for you than it is with other people. Your time in the pit might be longer or shorter than it is for other people. But it will come. It might not be like an actual pit or slavery or prison or anything, but there will be a time when it feels like the floor of life is just like, you know, the hangman's kind of table, like just go fall out from underneath you and you just plummet. Where for the foreseeable future of your life, it's not going to be as comfortable as you are used to. And, and, and this new sort of harder and colder life is going to take its place. Like maybe, maybe you've lost your job or maybe you've got like a, 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 a very sick child or maybe like a terminally sick child. Or maybe you've just got some really bad news that's going to just change your foreseeable future from now on. Maybe set before us in time, we, maybe we need to, maybe we are to go through a war. You know, who knows? Maybe we will endure the upheaval and the uncertainty of life like these refugees have. Whatever is before us, one thing is certain. And Jesus told us, in this life, you'll have trouble. Absolutely. In this life, you will have trouble. Three certainties of life, death, taxes, and it's not no one sitting in the front row at Willowburn, because that's happening. 
death, taxes, trouble. It's what's going to happen. And much of the time, this trouble is, is outside of our control. Like you think of Joseph's story. Okay, sure, he was a, probably a little bit of a brat and a little bit of a dibba snitch kind of brother. But did that really warrant them killing him or them selling him into slavery? And when Potiphar's wife, the predator cougar or whatever she is, she sets her gaze on Joseph because he's a really handsome, good-looking dude. She desires him and she comes after him. She offers herself up to him and he bolts. But then she gets all jealous and gets her nose out of joint and she gets offense. Uh, like she, she takes offense and then she lies about him trying to rape her. Is that Joseph's fault? And was it Joseph's fault when he predicts these dreams in prison? for the cupbearer and the baker. When the cupbearer then gets out, just forgets about him entirely and just leaves him in prison. Is that Joseph's fault? See, so many of this stuff, it's not always going to be somebody's fault. It's not going to be your fault. But it's going to come. These crap times are going to come for you. So two things, all right? We enjoy crazy, comfy lives, but we're expecting the wrecking ball of crap to come flying through it and destroy it, all right? Sometimes it's not our fault. We know this. So where do we go from here? Like in many ways, this has just been the longest intro ever. Because there is no light. There's been no hope. There's been nothing good. All right, we're just told that we're blessed and that makes us feel guilty. Where it's meant to expect rubbish to come into our life. Like, we just like, if I leave it here, all right, we just like, it's the same viewpoint that any sort of secular person out in the world would see their lives. And they instinctively know they bury their head in the sand to stop from turning into a depressive mess. Okay? So where, where is our hope in, the, in this Joseph story? In the pits of this life, this place, this life's gone from great to rubbish. Where's this hope? Like if we're tethered to Joseph to see God, then where's God? Where is he? We're thrown from, if we're thrown from our comfy lives into this pit and we're sold, all right, trapped in the slave trade, lied about, put in prison, forgotten about, trials, temptations, tribulations, things getting down, down, going to really quick, getting darker, worse. Life's miserable. Life's not fair. Where's this God we're meant to be seeing? Where's God? Where is he? And then, verse in, in, in chapter 39, he shows up. We see him in Potiphar's house when Joseph's a slave. The Lord was with Joseph. And then later on, in the pit, in the prison, in the depths of a prison somewhere in Egypt, but the Lord was with Joseph. He's with. And that's a strange word, hey? With. With, 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 with. With. Say it all the time. Like how many hundreds of times do we say with a day, but how much do we actually sit and think about what it really, really means? With. Like accompanying. If I'm with Luke, maybe I'm accompanying him. If I'm with Gabe, maybe I'm interacting with him. If I'm with Nicole, maybe I'm being beside her. Like if I'm with Kat, maybe I'm present with 
her, if I'm with my wife, maybe I'm married to her, just being there, present, together. See, our Atticus, he has to wear a, a, a brace to widen his top jaw so that his adult teeth can come through. And he, uh, when he was first getting sized up for this, he was um, very apprehensive about the whole idea. Wasn't he mousy? Yeah, poor little dude, he was terrified. We had a lot of really rubbish um, dentist visits. So anyway, because you know what it's like, you, you go to the dentist, even as adults, like so many, what's your favorite pastime? Oh, dentist. You know, like, um, you go to the dentist, you lie on your back, you're in this really like sort of vulnerable position, your, your chair gets tilted back and all the time you're thinking, all right, how far am I off the ground if I've got to get out of here quick? Like, where's the door? Where do I bolt to? And, and you're in this vulnerable position and you see all these cold steel tools of torture kind of like looking down at you and then this person with a <laughs> is staring over you and then... I've spent way too much time with the dentist too. But, uh, you know, it's, it is a scary place. It's a scary place. And all these, all these tools then are coming at one of your most sensitive places on your face. It's not into your mouth and around your gums and your teeth and stuff. So obviously, Addy, he's, he's freaking out. Like, he, he's there and he's like, oh, a whole mess of snot and tears and everything. It's, he's melting down. So I move into the seat beside him and I kept speaking to him and kept encouraging him and he calmed down because he felt someone with him, he felt understood, he felt known, someone else is here with me, can see what I see, is in this place, felt known. So he had his fear shared with me and therefore halved for him. Similarly, God was with Joseph during those hardest, all those worst parts of life. See, everyone else had just like abandoned him and, and sold him over to it and just like taken off and blah, 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 just wanted to forget entirely about this dude. Like, oh, well, out of sight, out of mind. He's gone. Everyone else had handed Joseph over to whatever. He was out of their life. They didn't care about him. But yet God was there with him, accompanying him, being present with him, encouraging him. And Joseph would have felt like his difficulty was known by God. God was there. He was sticking closer than any of his uh, earthly, broken, jealous brothers. who They were just all too quick to just abandon him and run, sell him off, grab 20 shekels of silver. I'll take that money in the bank. So, notice here, so God is with Joseph. And notice that Joseph here is in the pit for like the youth of his life, right? From 17 to 30. Most of the most, you know, the most important, youthful, profitable years of life. So what are, like, in our culture, what do we do in our 20s? Well, when you're 17, like you leave high school, you either then, you start working, you start like, um, getting so much experience in that, in that field that you've chosen to work in. 
Sometimes you'll go get a trade and you'll spend the next, you know, three or four years or whatever getting knowledge on that trade. Some of us will go to university and we'll spend the next, you know, three, four, two hundred years just like studying to try and get the most information in our minds we can about that. We're setting ourselves up. We, we see uh, direction through life and we have got to get momentum up to get in that direction. So what does someone think when they're a slave during those times and they don't have that opportunity? Like, how does Joseph feel? Am I wasting my youth in this place? Yet God's with him. God's present with him. So his fear is naturally, like, it's diminished somehow. His anxiety over his lost youth is, is, is soothed somehow because he feels known. God's with him so closely. And here's the cool bit. Those in authority over Joseph that saw this they give him, you know, authority. They understand, they acknowledge that God's with this guy. So they entrust him in, into higher duties and whatever. So we can see from Potiphar, he handed over so much stuff to the running of his house that the only thing, Pot what, what does the Bible say? The only thing Potiphar needs to worry about is what? I'm not sure what version it says, but I bet, I'm pretty sure it says something along the lines of, only need to, what he need to stuff in his face. That's the message, isn't it? No, just kidding. Um, yeah, exactly, Luke, what, what he eats. That's all he had to worry about. And the jailer, what, when he handed anything over to Joseph, he didn't have to worry about that at all. See, because God is here, God has restored Joseph's favor in this place through being with him and Joseph just working diligently, knowing God's with him through these pits of his life. So we roll by in time, and 2,000 years later, this same God who was with Joseph came to earth as a baby. And in announcing his own coming through an angel to, another, to a guy also by the name of Joseph, different dude, he's not 2,000 years old, different guy, Okay, another guy called Joseph says through an angel, Joseph, this is the, at the um, end of the first chapter of Matthew, but don't no need to change to it. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here Jesus is God with us. He's accompanying us, interacting with us, present with us, being beside us. He's he came into this place, this, this fleshy, broken humanity to be with us in our mess. This God, our God, he came into the mess with us to live as one of us, to be like us, to understand everything that we're going through with us. And as he was leaving, he says, he's going up, he's like, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And indeed he is, because when he went, he then sent the Holy Spirit, who is also God with us. Right? We have God with us now. 
and those of us that love King Jesus and obey him, God seals us with his Holy Spirit. He is always permanently with us. God's desire, God's desire, our King, ultimate maker of the universe, God's desire is to be with us. It's why he made the way, why he sacrificed his son to make a way so that we can come back and be with him. He can be with us. It's what he wants. No matter where we end up in life, no matter what we're going through, he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never not be with us. That's a double negative. God is with us. Hmm. So, we're going to go to communion now. And with that thought of God with us, this is how we remember that was, I suppose, sealed, how that was set in motion, how this was able to be made, okay, was Jesus' death. God who came to live with us and died for us so that he can live with us in unity. It's, it's an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth of Christianity. So I'm going to pray and then, come on, brothers and sisters, we can share this meal together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you made a way so that you can be with us closer. And Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for this meal now, Lord. We ask that you bless it to our bodies. Amen.